Welcome to the Wise Up Texas podcast. Wise Up Texas is a nonpartisan nonprofit empowering and educating Texas South Asians to be informed voters and partake in civic engagement. We are South Asian Voices for South Asian Voters. You can visit our website, wiseuptx.org, and find us on all social media platforms. This is Poonam Kaji, Wise Up Texas board member and today's host. I am here today with the founder and president of Wise of Texas, Azra Siddiqui, and we are just chatting to break down the primary results um, from the Texas primary. Texas is one of the states that has an early primary when it comes to the midterms. We've been calling this the Masala midterm because so much is up for re-election. This is such a big election this year. Um, we're going to cover some of the interesting outcomes and some of the turnout numbers and um, definitely talk a little bit about runoffs because there are lots of runoff elections. I'm going to run through those dates really quickly so you can mark your calendar right at the top of the episode. April 25th is the last day to register to vote for the runoffs. So if you somehow missed the primary, um, this is your chance to still get in on some of these decisions for who will be on the ballot in November. Early voting will be May 16 to May 20, and May 24th is the runoff election day. And as we talk about some of the outcomes, you'll get to hear who's going to a runoff. Um, but definitely check your ballot leading up to the election on vote411.org. Okay, let's talk first about the biggest race, the biggest thing on the ticket, which is the Texas governor um, expected outcome, which was. Uh, Beto versus Abbott. Ezra, any thoughts on our outcome on this one? Uh, yeah, I, I did want to mention a few things. I think this was the first time Abbott was really challenged um, compared to the past two, three election cycles for his governor's race to be primaried. He had two primary opponents who were further right than him, and it seemed like Governor Abbott um, you know, because of these primary opponents really pushed a more further right agenda during the past legislative session and even leading right up to the election as well. Um, I'm curious if there will be some data or information coming out later about how that may have helped him um, in the primary, if it did help him win or not. I, I would be fascinated to see that. I think the second thing I'm fascinated to see is um. So when Beto ran for Senate <clears throat> um, against Ted Cruz, um, his numbers in the Rio Grande Valley, the RGV, weren't very high in his primary election. In fact, his opponent really seemed to win a lot of those counties. I know he invested a lot of time and um, manpower in those um, RGV areas. And I'm curious to see how that's gonna play out also in November. Like, um, I haven't looked at the data yet, but I want to see if those numbers were better than his, you know, Senate primary race. And if he is, um, you know, really going to be making inroads in that um, area for the November election. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I think looking at Greg Abbott's numbers, he got 66 percent of the Republican primary vote. So some people did go out there and um, vote for uh, two of the other candidates that really rallied against Greg Abbott. Um, Beto O'Rourke got 91% of the Democratic vote. Um, if you just look at the sheer number of voters, 
um, Republican voters turned out more for Greg Abbott than Democratic voters turned out for Beto O'Rourke. Um, moving on to Attorney General, uh, this was a really interesting election this year. This is the top lawyer that represents the state of Texas. That's generally what the attorney general does. And there's going to be a runoff on both sides. So on the Democratic side, Rochelle Garza will be up against somebody. We're not quite sure who yet because um, they're figuring out the data. Just as a reminder, you have to get 50% of the vote to win outright. Otherwise, you go to a runoff. Um, so while she got a lot of the votes, she didn't get up to 50 and they're trying to figure out who is closest in second place. And they're still counting the votes to figure that out with mail-in votes. And then on the Republican side, Ken Paxton will be against George P. Bush. And um, that's also going to a runoff. So this will be a, the, the kind of top of the ticket for the runoff. Um, Ezra, what are your thoughts on that one? You know, and, and as we go through a lot of these results, I think it's pretty fascinating that at the top for a lot of these big statewide races that for Democrats are having a lot of runoffs. Um, but I will say it's even more fascinating that Republicans are having a runoff, um, especially with an incumbent, um, as we see for a lot of the, you know, like the lieutenant governor, ag commissioner, um, comptroller, we are not really seeing that many Republican incumbents face a runoff like we are with the attorney general. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with Ken Paxson's current um, criminal, criminal proceedings that are happening against him. Um, I know he's been indicted, but they haven't fully, um, you know, gone to court and had, you know, any sort of like final outcome from what he has been, you know, accused of. But it is fascinating the number of people that did end up voting. Um, I mean, the number of people that ended up running against Ken Paxton, it seemed that they there were many in the within the Republican Party who were very troubled by these allegations against him. And so they decided to run in that position. Yeah, that'll be a really interesting runoff. I think it's um, probably the one to watch and the one to go out and vote for. So jumping into Lieutenant Governor. Um, this is this person basically presides over the state Senate. And on the Democrat side, we have a runoff again. Uh, it's Mike Collier and Michelle Beckley. So we'll go vote May and decide on which of those two people will be on the ballot in November. On the Republican side, the incumbent, Dan Patrick, um, won by quite a landslide, um, although there were some people um, contesting him in, in the primary. Um, yeah, I if you don't mind me interjecting a little. Um, so, you know, last four years ago, Mike Collier was the lieutenant governor on the Democratic ticket against Dan Patrick. And I believe he lost within single digits. Again, we had, um, you know, it was, I think, and I want to recall if I remember, it was 2018. And I think this is when Beto was also on the ticket, but he was running for U.S. Senate. Um, and so there was a lot of, you know, a lot of Democratic turnout, you know, Beto kept that race with Cruz really close. And a lot of these top of the ballot Demo uh, tickets um, between not the governor race, but lieutenant governor, ag commissioner, and some of the others were actually within single digits, which is very surprising for Texas had not happened in a very, very long time. Um, I think if Mike Collier was to win the Democratic runoff and run against um, Dan Patrick again, I'm very curious to see with Beto again being at the top of the ticket, um, how much that's going to turn out, turn out 
and um, if Mike Collier will be able to close the gap and win or still keep it close or, you know, have a larger margin, I think for me, you know, watching that race is going to be really fascinating. Yeah, and these are really important statewide positions, and there's quite a few of them. I don't think we'll have time to discuss them all today, but I encourage all of you to go look at the outcomes. Um, like the agricultural commissioner is one that's already squared away. There's no runoffs there. Um, for the for the land commissioner, there will be runoffs on both sides again. Um, the land commissioner spot was open on the Republican end because George P. Bush held that role. Um, so that's why there's no incumbent there. It makes sense that there's a runoff now. And then the comptroller, uh, the Republican side uh, is decided with Glenn Hagar, but there will be a runoff from the Democrat side. The railroad commissioner, there's a um, actually a runoff in the Republican side and the Democrat, um, Luke Warford, is, has won outright and will be on the ballot in November. There's some other really important statewide uh, issues that were on the ballot. So there were 12 state board of education roles. Um, the Texas Supreme Court had some positions and the Texas Criminal Court of Appeals. And so review, see what, see how the turnout came out. Um, check to see how your candidates did. I think, yeah, I should, oh, sorry, go ahead. If I can just add one more thing, you know, state board of education, we're, we're seeing a lot of you know, Texas passed banning like critical race theory and, you know, some of those types of legislation and that that trickles down into the State Board of Education and how, you know, certain things are taught in school or the textbooks that are picked or the reading material that's picked. Um, I think it's important to pay attention to those, especially if, if you have issue with the way the government is doing or not doing certain things. Um, I know a lot of people within the past two years have gotten a little bit more in line, enlightened about what the Black Lives Matter movement is about and criminal justice issues. Um, again, the Texas Criminal Court of Appeals, that's really important. Like if that's something, if this is an issue that, you know, you really care about, then you should be voting in these elections um, for these judges because they're the ones that are, you know, interpreting the policies that the legislature is passing. Yes, 100%. And just so people remember, the Texas Criminal Court of Appeals is basically the highest court when it comes to criminal matters in Texas. So um, if you rank criminal justice reform as something important to you, then you should be um, educating yourself on who's going to be on the bench for that. Um, let's jump into U.S. House races. So I can't emphasize enough that every single seat in Congress is up for re-election in 2022. Um, this is because of the census taking place and all the districts being redrawn. Um, we're just going to touch on a couple of these districts. One is uh, not necessarily a heavy South Asian district. It's U.S. House District 28, um, where Henry Cuellar versus Jessica Cisneros on the Democratic side has been in the news. And this is just one of those examples where Henry Cuellar is a longtime Democratic congressman. Um, he's had a little bit of uh, issues lately with an FBI investigation, um, but for the most part, has been a longstanding incumbent. And Jessica Cisneros is more on the progressive side of the Democratic Party and has been um, competing against him to uh, and, and, and this time pushed him into a runoff. So that will be a really interesting runoff to follow. It can kind of compare it to the way AOC got her seat. Um, up in New York by taking out a longtime Democratic incumbent. 
Another really interesting race is U.S. District 3, which is here in North uh, Texas, DFW area, covering Plano, definitely a lot of South Asians in this area. Um, I mean, I can't even begin to get into everything about this one because it's it's quite <laughs> delicious. I recommend you Google it and see what's going on with, with U.S. Congressman Van Taylor. Um, he actually ended up having to come out of the race um, because he had a personal scandal, an affair. And so by him coming out of the race, um, the person who is who is now going to be in that position is, is a, a, a far right candidate um, who will be on the ticket in November. And then against the Republican is actually a South Asian candidate running in that district. Um, so a lot of reasons to pay attention to this race if you're South Asian, whether you live in Plano or want to see what's going on with the South Asian candidate or just want to read a very, very intense story about a political drama. Yes. <laughs> I, um, you know, I, I I grew up in that district. Um, and so um, I think for me, even though while I currently reside in Austin, I find it just to be so bewildering as to, you know, what happened. Um, I, the story is insanely crazy. Again, like as Poonam said, you should definitely Google it about the affair. Um, I think um, what's also interesting is that um, Van Taylor was one of the few that was willing to um, um, look into what happened at the Capitol on January 6th into those riots. And um, one of the few Republicans who was willing to do that. And I think there's a lot of talk about if the far right was targeting him to get that story out. Um, it was initially, you know, published in Breitbart before the primary um, and mainstream media didn't pick it up until after <clears throat> the primary ended. And, and, and then that's when he decided to step down. Um, from the race. So I think I'm, I'm curious to see what that research, you know, ends up finding. Um, and, and like as Puna mentioned, the Democratic candidate for CD3 is now um, is actually a, is a South Asian person. And um, I'm not I'm not sure how much um, with the way I think the districts are gerrymandered. I'm, I'm curious to see how much of a um, strength he'll have um to win this district when it is looks like it's very partisan gerrymandered towards republicans and i do want to just piggyback on what Ezra said about redistricting what we know about the new maps is that districts that were once competitive like cd3 that we're talking about is no longer competitive if you look at the data so based on the voting history that district is respect expected to go republican and um, it used to be more of a purple district and a little bit of a toss up as a result of the new maps. Um, there are very few districts that are expected to be more of a toss up. There are less districts that are expected to be Democratic and more districts that are expected to be Republican. Um, while we talk about gerrymandering as something that is really frustrating and, and um, undermines the vote, um, remember that partisan gerrymandering is legal, racial gerrymandering is illegal, and there have been a number of lawsuits filed about whether the maps include racial gerrymandering, and we are still waiting for the outcome. So right now, the maps stand as is. 
I think that brings us to the Texas Senate and the Texas House. Um, I don't have a lot to report on the Texas Senate. I think this is just another one where you should go look at the outcome, see who's going to be on your ballot in November. But we do have some really interesting and exciting news from the Texas House. And the main thing that I want to bring home for us, for Wise of Texas and our South Asian followers and listeners, is that there were a number of South Asians running on both sides of the ticket um, to represent us in the Texas House. And a number of them won and are going to either run off or you're going to be on the ballot in November. Um, so I'll just start off with, with Salman Bojani, who won his Democratic primary in Arlington, mid-cities area of DFW. Um, he actually had three people in his primary, and one of them was another South Asian candidate, a Nepali-American who ran for office named Dinesh Sharma. This district is expected to be Democratic based on the data, and so it's expected that Salman will win in November after winning the primary, and he will be the first South Asian and first Muslim in the Texas legislature. He will also be the first person of color to ever represent this district. So the primary itself was a pretty historic win considering what's expected for this district. Another really uh, interesting outcome, Dr. Solomon Lalani, who's running in Sugarland area. Um, this is another district with a lot of South Asians. Um, there was actually a Republican South Asian that ran as well, but did not prevail in his primary. Um, Dr. Solomon Lalani will be in a runoff in May. And then last uh, one I want to mention is District 93, Casey Chowdhury, um, will be on the ballot in November. He also won his primary. Um, so he'll be on the ballot in November for folks to, to vote. Um, I, I thought this was just really cool to see so many people running. What are your thoughts on that, Ezra? I agree. I think, you know, having lived in Texas almost my entire life, I've never seen this many South Asian people on the ballot, which was super exciting. And not only just the Texas House, but like we saw several judges, South Asian judges on the ballot. Many of them won their primaries or will be heading to runoffs. And it was just really exciting to see so much representation of our community, regardless of, you know, which side of the political party spectrum you're on. Um, you know, if Salman Bujani does win his race in November, like I've worked as a staffer in the Texas House as an intern, like I've never seen someone of much, I mean, there were barely any Desi people or South Asian people as staffers, but to actually have someone that <clears throat> is there on the Texas House floor um, vouching for South Asians, I think is going to be really awesome um, for our community because we've never really had that. And, um, Texas has such a large South Asian population, you know, it's not like, um, it's not like it's minor. And I just feel like this is the first time Texas um, has kind of lived up to the name, you know, you see like in California or New York or Chicago, like they, the South Asians have a little bit more representation in government. And I feel like Texas has been a bit behind, but I feel like we are starting to catch up and that's awesome. I agree. It's really, really inspiring. So um, if you're looking for some good news, that's some good news. It's really exciting and worthy of celebration um, to see South Asians uh, taking up this calling to run for office. So we're just going to end on some notes about turnout. Um, primary turnout is typically not that great, um, especially in a midterm year. So in the presidential years, it usually does a little bit better. This year, 17.5% of registered voters came out. 
11.3% of those were Republican and 6.2% were um, Democrats that came out and voted in the primary. So much more turnout in the Republican party than the Democratic primary. This year's turnout was higher than the last six midterm primaries. So turnout has increased, but still we see less than one in five registered voters participated. Um, so a little dismal. And as an organization that tries to get people out to vote, this is always hard to swallow. Um, anything else you want to add on that point, Ezra? Yeah, I, I agree with you on that. I, I do want to add that, you know, a lot of people tell me when it comes to general elections that they're like, oh, I don't feel like voting because I don't like, you know, candidates from either party. My first question to them is, did you vote in the primary? Because the primary is where you decide, do I want someone who's far right, more moderate, more um, conservative, more progressive, more liberal? Um, you know, you have the whole range right there. That, that's what you're deciding on in these primaries. And I think when you have these frustrations that, hey, someone is like either too far or um, on the spectrum or too much in the middle of the spectrum um, and you're not voting in the primaries, you know, that's on you. I, I'm, I'm going to say it up front. Like that's on you. And you have the ability to make those um, choices and vote for candidates that fall along your political spectrum. And that's why the primaries are so important. So, you know, turnout wasn't great and it's usually disappointing to see a lot of the times, but I want you to remember that if in November you come across and you're like, hey, I don't like any of these candidates, remember if you voted in the primary or not and recognize like, okay, I didn't vote, but next time I will so that the candidates that show up on the ballot in November are candidates I really truly want to vote for. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And I do want to say, because we didn't talk about them, there were other down ballot races, local judges that were on the ballot, for example. So there was a lot on the ballot and it does take time to study the ballot. I mean, I usually set aside a good 30 minutes to an hour just to study the ballot and vote, but it's worth it to participate and get the outcomes that we want. Um, that's the only way to make change. And I do just want to note some really uh, a news story that's been prevalent in this primary has been around the mail-in voting. Um, these numbers that we were discussing did not include the mail-in ballots. These ballots this year were rejected at a higher level than in the past because of new laws. The law known as SB1, which you might remember we as an organization um, stood against because we feel like it limits the right to vote. It had some additional requirements when it comes to absentee voters. So they had to include state identification numbers like a driver's license number or social security number. And they had to include that when requesting the mail-in ballot and when returning a completed ballot. And those numbers had to match up with the voter record for it to be accepted. So that wraps up our episode. Ezra, do you have any closing thoughts for us? Get ready for the Masala midterms in November. Yeah, let's do it, everyone. Um, mark your calendar now for May 24th. Get out and early vote the week before. Um, we appreciate everybody taking the time to be active citizens and get other people engaged. It's definitely worth it. This is our state and we want it to be the best it can be. So that concludes our interview for today. Wise of Texas is a nonpartisan nonprofit 
We welcome interviews with candidates and political leaders who want to reach out to our South Asian followers. We don't endorse any candidates or political party. You can find a recording of this podcast on most platforms where podcasts are available. And select episodes will air on Radio Azad and DFW. Please subscribe and share. Thanks for listening. Get educated, get wiser, and start giving a hoot with Rise of Texas.